Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 119, How Jamie Ford Writes. In this episode, Jamie and I dive into my current favorite topic, the topic of the week, of the month, maybe of the year, writing and reading dystopia. We ponder what pulls us down into dystopia. And the question that's been on my mind a lot, whether or not our current generations, people living today, whether or not we're more drawn to the genre because of our times. We also chop up theme, I know, talking a lot about theme, and how a writer can get to know themselves. Cover a lot of ground in this one. I want to say a quick thank you to Jamie for this interview. I had an absolute blast. And now, my friends, without further ado, here is episode 119 with Jamie Ford. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's special guest is Jamie Fort. Jamie's debut novel, uh, Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet, spent two and a half years on the New York Times bestseller list and won the 2010 Asian Pacific American Award for Literature. It was also named the number one book club pick in 2010 by the American Bookseller Association and is now read widely in schools all across the country. An award-winning short story writer, his work has been published in multiple anthologies from Asian-themed steampunk set in Seattle in the apocalypse triptych. I, I practiced that word. I don't think I said it right. Triptych? Triptych? I don't know. Close enough. Close enough. Okay. To stories exploring the universe of masked marvels and caped crusaders from an, an, from an Asian-American perspective. He's also written in other genres, speculative, dystopian, crime noir, and middle-grade horror. His latest novel, The Many Daughters of Afong Moy, was named number one Indie Next list pick for August 2022, and it was released on August 2nd, 2022. So it's available anywhere and everywhere you buy your books. Jamie, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. I am so excited to talk to you. I actually, so I came across your work for the first time um, in Victor Laval's anthology, A People's Future of the United States. Um, So we're coming full circle here. Victor was on the show. um, So the editor of it, Uh, Omar Alakad's been on the show twice. And so now we have you are just going to slowly notch my way down all the writers in the anthology, and uh, we'll call it a wrap on the show. Um, but I, I want to start with dystopian. I, I have recently realized about myself that my favorite genre to read and to write and favorite movies to watch is dystopian, not apocalyptic, but dystopian. So I'd love to chop it up with you about this topic because it's just so present on my mind. And I, here's, where, here's where I think would be a fun place to start. Uh, why do we like reading and writing about the destruction of the human race. What is it that's so appealing about that? Uh, we're all nihilists at heart. You know, there's a little part of it? us that's still got 
the angsty teenager that's just like fuck it burn the world down <laughs> yeah having a bad day um i i think there's something fascinating about i mean and maybe it's kind of the mirror image of of like religion it's like there's puffy clouds and we're all going to be in this heavenly magical place and we grow up and we come to grips with that's probably fable and fantasy mm-hmm. and so let's just embrace the reality as gnarly as it could possibly be i i love that anthology that you mentioned before that's a that's a really that would be a cool list to go down i i would watch or i would listen to all of those podcasts yeah, <laughs> those yeah maybe, maybe i'll just start picking my way through it and i'll just clump it together it's its own show just be like yeah. <laughs> it's just gonna be its own yeah. podcast yeah. um so in dystopian oftentimes the dystopia is a uh it, it's something it's something that could have been utopian taken to too far of an extreme yeah. right and um it, you know technology runs amok and goes too far uh, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like, you know, weapons come and destroy us all and that's the end of it. Or, you know, there's nothing great about an asteroid. But that's a little bit more apocalyptic. That's less dystopian. Um, do you think because we have tools to destroy the entirety of the planet, that dystopian writing is becoming more important or prevalent? Is it more top of mind in our kind of zeitgeist because we contemplate these things like the destruction of the earth in a way that maybe you know when thomas moore wrote utopia 500 years ago wouldn't have considered yeah that's an interesting question i think we we think about it because in a you know an internet-based world we're just having all of this input all of this media kind of bombarding us from from every angle mm-hmm. and i think maybe it's we're having a hard time processing all of that i mean sometimes i do sometimes i'll go hiking or i'll disconnect for several days i won't have the internet or my phone and suddenly you're like oh this is this is reality this mm-hmm. is this is not living in a constant ecosystem of messaging um maybe it's something to do with that i don't know i, I think it depends on where you come from and i think different groups in the world and in you know in in the u.s have a different outlook on dystopia on apocalyptic stuff um the author tommy orange uh native american uh, indigenous author he said um and i'm I'm butchering his quote but he said you you won't find native americans writing about a post-apocalyptic world because they're living in a post-apocalyptic world and it's really true i think for if we're, you know, living in suburbia and everything is, um, you know, fairly sedate, where people's stressor is someone cutting them off in traffic, where Starbucks runs out of soy milk, then their, their imagination has to go to some place where it's going to be challenged and threatened and scared, and and in, and with some dystopian stuff, you know, in, enlightened because one person's utopia is another person's dystopia. Yeah, um, and where we come from culturally, sort of fall on that map differently. I like that line, one person's utopia is another person's dystopia. That that really that really does illustrate like the um I don't think the framework, but certainly the base of a lot of dystopia oh, yeah, is is that dichotomy. Be, yeah. Go ahead please. Not to be political, but 
there's you know some gazillionaire who wanted to create and i think he is creating this you know this this freedomville community where it's like the stepford wives where it's uh you know what what he envisions as the perfect american life with a church on every block and you know um it may seem magical for him that's his utopia but for someone that is perhaps more free thinking less conformist doesn't want to have their entire existence homogenized into that of their neighbors it's like you know that's like hell on earth for right. someone with a with a <laughs> someone that doesn't want to be um live life as a lemming right yeah that's a really good frame up you know, so, sometimes I, I, I say this a couple of times in the show, you know, oftentimes the writing life can be very complex, like pieces of writing story is not always super simple. And there's a lot of nuance in storytelling, both in the craft as well as like the life you take on as a storyteller. But sometimes you get these really great little snippets. And that that feels like one of them we need to put in the archives of like one person's utopia is another person's dystopia because I think a lot of story flows from that. I think that's that's one of those points that's just like I like that a lot. Um, l- let me back up a second. Do do you view? So so do you do do you think we love dystopia so much culturally because we're bored, or do you think we love dystopia so much because we all collectively have this feeling like something's not right? Um. You know, I, I honestly don't have a definitive answer to that. I, yeah. Again, I think sliding scale of dystopia. I, um, I, we had a house down near Bozeman uh, in Montana, and it was this huge part of the, the town where they, you know, they had suddenly built like ten thousand homes in two mm-hmm. years, and none of the trees had come in yet. And so you could look out of a second story window. And one time I tried to count how many rooftops I could see. And it was something like 17 rooftops, just obscuring my view off into the distance. And, and I, you know, I had hoped that, you know, in 30 years, it'll look like a, a normal neighborhood. But when my, my son looked out the window, he came home from college. He's like, oh, dystopia. <laughs> like for him, it was just like this uh, pre-programmed world that, was not comforting to him and i totally get it like i i don't look out that window i look out the, the window that has a view of the mountains i look out the other window and i get depressed and living in you know a, a cookie cutter neighborhood um so yeah i think i think part of it is well i, I wonder if there are people that just never think this way and i and i think there's a lot of us it's in society you know instead of bread and circus to appease the masses we have you know, we have Starbucks and Netflix mm. and a lot of people in the balance of their day, they probably think more about their local sports team than about the future, a distortion of the future, an alternative future. You know, they just, and that's no knock on them. They just, people are busy with their lives and providing comfort and relief in any form of entertainment that, that works for them. But I, I do think as writers, I think you know, books about the great American novel about uh, a middle American family in Minnesota in distress. I think we've done that about Hmm. 400 million times. I think, I think, (laughs) and that's an eternal story that will always be there. 
But I don't think that needs to be the high bar for literature. I think the high bar should be something expansive and should be something that is challenging and discomforting. And mm. I, I think in the same way that people go on roller coaster rides to be to be discomforted for the thrill, the fear, to, to be able to say they did it. I think people like reading about dystopians for the same reason. They want to be made uncomfortable. And then they mm. want to use that discomfort and, and use that as a lens to see their current world. And then they can say, oh yeah, we're nothing like that. We're good. Or they can say like, holy shit, we are halfway there. Right. Um, I, that's that's my guess, but I'm just kind of picking this stuff up as I go. So. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we all... Um, I like that though. I mean, that, like I said, I, I'm reading this, like, you know, study this like epic study of dystopia and reading all the dystopia I can. And, and so I'm just so immersed in it that I just love, I was like, yes, another dystopian writer I can talk to. So, um, that all, that all resonates with me, but it also kind of opened up another point, which is like the point as a writer or as a storyteller that you're trying to make. And I think that like dovetails with theme this nebulous concept of theme. And we've been talking about it a lot on the podcast as well as in our writing community, Happy Writer. And so I'm curious, like, like what is, what's your relationship with theme? Firstly, like, is it something you consciously think about? Is it consciously, consciously you're writing about? Or are you in the camp of, I'm going to write the best story I can and the reader will pull the theme that's, you know, that they see that ascertains, that, that they ascertain? For me, I, I go down some rabbit hole of curiosity, and it's usually something personal. It's something that's mm -hmm. relates to my family or something in my own life. You know, perhaps um, you know, often a, a wrong turn that I took in my life or that my parents took, and I, I want to explore why or understand why. But I don't really sit down and think of like, okay, the theme of this book is you know, uh, um, indifference to human suffering. I'm going to create a, a morality play around that. I, I don't do that consciously I, I just try to be a storyteller and i i think of an interesting premise that that brings up a lot of questions and then much of writing the stories exploring those questions but i i have you know my characters are the, the, the creatures i wind up and, and i create the world and then i let them um you know turn them loose and let them bump their way through the story and see what kind of uh, sparks fly when you entangled in things um i do think it's we live in a, a you know a, a literary world where there's so much of literary criticism and, and i'm not i mean it's not a world i'm even vaguely familiar with um just i'm looking at it from the outside because i'm a, I'm a self-taught writer but i see so many you know people from an academic perspective trying to dissect a, a a piece of art whether it's music or a film or a book and they're trying to find the meaning um and sometimes there isn't such a meaning or sometimes mm -hmm. they find meanings that are definitely not there but if that's what they took away i think that's okay i i do write with the intentionality of i don't want to complete the circuit for my readers i want i want to get it close and i want the reader to complete the circuit and whatever lights up um, whatever switches on, that's true to them. And uh, and if that makes sense in, in their world, in their head, then that's true. And that, that works. But it's not necessarily something I did by design. Yeah. A little, I, a little open for interpretation. Do, are you trying to make a point with each 
book or trying trying to, I mean, you said you're, you, you ask these questions. Are, are you, you know, are you saying like, Hey, I want the reader or I want to, it, it's so hard to get into like, this is what I want for the reader because it's like, people are so complex and dynamic. Yeah. Like, you know, like, and as soon as you want somebody to do something, if you have kids, you know, this as soon as you want them to do something, they do the opposite, you know? So it's like, it's like, that's a hard hill to climb, but as you're writing and constructing the story, are you thinking like, this is the point I am trying to make through this. I am trying to show this truth. And that can be a lowercase T or uppercase T, depending on how you want to take the word, but trying to convey a truth that I, as I understand it through the story. No, <laughs> <laughs> this is why I love these questions. Cause it's like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, selfishly, um, I, 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 I mean, I, I, I love speculative fiction. Um, speculative fiction is kind of my mother tongue, even though it's something I haven't written in until my latest book, um, aside from short fiction, which I've done a bunch, but I, a speculative fiction author that I loved is Harlan Ellison. He said, you should always write for the wisest, wittiest, most intelligent audience in the universe, write for yourself. And so I'm always writing for myself. And so because of that, I don't step out of myself and say, hello, self, you're the reader. What kind of message am I trying to, you know, import to you? I, I don't do that. I, I, it's more of an exploration of my own curiosity on the page, or it's an exploration of my own personal baggage on the page. You know, it's my own form of therapy. And so I, that's kind of how I do it. I'm always trying to, um, satisfy my own itch rather than mm -hmm. trying to think of what uh how i want to tickle the reader i know that sounds maybe that sounds like i'm divorcing myself from from the reader completely and, I, and i'm not but um as a whole i tend to write stories that by design i, I want to give people's empathy muscles a workout that's just that's just who i am those are the stories that are interesting to me and i know that's that's in the back of my mind that's that's what i'm what I'm trying to do or, or what I'm going to end up doing, or if I do end up doing that, then I feel satisfied. But when it comes to putting the story together, I'm really just writing for myself. And so I always find that interesting when I, when there is someone who has a very serious literary uh, critique and will say something like, this is a very inventive yet overstuffed story that is trying to do this. I'm like, maybe I, I don't know i didn't think of it that way i just was writing something that i wanted to write i didn't quite think of it uh uh i didn't dissect it first and then put it back together yeah yeah i think that there's what one of the benefits of doing a, a show like this and um you know being able to talk to so many amazing writers one of the things that becomes became really clear as soon as i started the show a couple of years ago that wow, there's a huge diversity of the way people write. <laughs> you know, like there are no two uh, carbon copies of creators. And that in fact became the theme of the show. It was to highlight and celebrate really the differences in writers who are all creating. Like, it's like you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, like everyone's putting words on the page and publishing books that I interview. And so it's like, it's not, it, it's clear evidence that there's not one way. But one of the things that's become very clear is that there seems to be a couple like linear um, 
I keep wanting to think slider, like, like you're, you're going to show up at some point on the, on a linear scale of like one to 10 or whatever. Sure, sure. And, and, and one category is like, where are you on the plotting versus panting? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. 10 is like, I have every scene written in, you know, excruciating detail before I write it. And one is like YOLO. I have one, one character, one, one idea and off I go. There's, there's one of them. One is theme. Like how, how much are you thinking about theme ahead of time? 10 is like, I have to have my theme nailed. One is I am nothing. One of them though, seems to be how much do you think about the reader in the creation process? Um, because it seems to me that, that there's also a slider. There's also a continuum of people who are like, I'm writing for me. And if somebody else wants to read it and they like it, cool. Great. Uh, I just had a, a guest a couple of weeks ago that is very aware, always thinking about the reader in the, in the creation process. Again, highlight, there's no one way to do this. I mean, like anyone who tells you this is the way to write a story, they're selling you something like they, they're like, and this is how much it costs for me to teach you how to do it the right way. Um, so, so it's just interesting to hear that, that slider. Would you agree with that? Like, as I'm saying that, are you like, yeah, that, that seems to, to, to ring true. Are you like, no, this guy's crazy. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so true. I mean, some, some authors, I mean, there's, there's two directions to go. There's the, you know, there's the business side and the art side, and there's nothing wrong with either side. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm always, what I always sort of shake my head about are people that they know that spectrum and they have an awareness of where they are on that sliding scale, but they are really unhappy that the world doesn't change to accommodate where they are on that sliding scale. Oof. And they're very unhappy. And yeah. by that, I mean, like if you picture this Venn diagram of commercial versus literary, and there's a sweet spot in the middle, um, I, I try to be in this, the, the middle. I don't do it by design, but there's probably things I avoid um, because I know I would be too far on one extreme. And then that Venn diagram of like literary versus I'm doing stuff with my hands. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> people listen to the podcast can see this, but just picture on the, on the literary spectrum, there are people that, um, that write beautiful literary books or novels and stories but they have no likable protagonists and right. the work is really inaccessible. And by right. that, I mean, there was a book, um, it, it was a book in translation and it, it won like the French version of the Pulitzer. It was 900 pages with no paragraph breaks at all. <laughs> no, and it was just like, just this onslaught of, of stuff. And it was, it was almost like daring the reader, um, to try and read this. And then yeah, right. it seems like a gimmick. It seems like artifice. And then this person, th this type of author is really upset when they don't sell millions of copies. We're like, yeah, but dude, you're, you're getting paid in posterity points. That's what, what you're doing. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have, I, I don't know this for a fact, but there's, I've heard that, um, that, that Nicholas Sparks, a man who makes like 20 million a year, um, sleeps on a bed of money. Um, <laughs> when the national book awards come out he's kind of disappointed he's not on that list i'm like <laughs> self-awareness my friend yeah <laughs> that world. yeah and i meet lots of authors that they're really unhappy with where they are but they have no um, desire to change they want the whole world to accommodate them and it's just not always going to happen that way it's like like for me like i try to write books that 
um, you know, they, they please me, they amuse me, they keep me up at night writing them. And yeah, there, there might be something more experimental or dark or severe that I might want to write on any given day, but I don't do it because I don't know if anyone wants to hear that. It's like mm. the equivalent of me going into my closet and screaming <laughs> and then recording it and then putting it on, you know, iTunes. And I can't <laughs> understand why people don't download that and listen to it. Um, there's someone for who, you know, 30 minutes of me screaming would be cathartic, but for most of the world, it's, it's not. Um, and it's all about understanding who we are as writers and where we fit and being comfortable with that. Some people, you know, they're super commercial. They just crank out books and their books make a lot of people happy and they're, they're nice people. And, you know, they, they have a nice life. Cool. Um, and then there's other people who, you know, live in a bus station and struggle and are writing uh, a novel, a street level gritty novel that is not going to be for everybody, but it's so authentic for the people that it is for is super powerful. And I respect both of those people. I, I respect, you know, most writers. I just get, I kind of roll my eyes when writers know, know who they are, know where they are and don't do anything about it when there's someone happy. Yeah. There's that, that classic line, you know, know thyself, um, yeah. re really comes, really comes to mind. There's like an asterisk at the end of thyself and it's like thy writing self. And, um, I think you said it, it's really important. It's not where you land on this continuum is not important, like not important. Uh, that's probably the wrong way to say it. It is important to you, but there's not a right or wrong answer. It's not like a correct answer that you're supposed to be super literary and highbrow. And, you know, when you're in an MFA class, there's some, you know, discussion with words that most people never use in real common day English. Like that's not right in the same way that like, listen, if you don't, if, if, if writing um, maybe more, maybe more uh, plot specific, genre fiction isn't up your alley either uh, that's okay too i the, the the point is just the awareness is really powerful um and i'll share a really quick story i mean i've been writing um trying trying to become the writer i want to be for about 10 years um self-taught for a long time was fortunate enough to get into a really great mfa program did my mfa i've written um, every day for probably who knows how long, uh, hundreds of thousands of words on the current work in progress. And I shit you not in the past six months, just realized what I actually like, what I like to write like six months ago, like after all that, like, it's like, it's That's like, normal. Yeah. so, so the, the point is that like time in the seat doesn't necessarily translate to the awareness. And I think the awareness comes from just really um, being honest and looking at yourself and and being like, hey, if this all went right, if everything went the well way I wanted it to, what would I actually want to happen here? Um, and starting just from those kind of exploratory conversations, um, because I think you're right. There's a lot of power in the answer, um, in the questions for you as the writer. Yeah, I think it's it just takes us. I mean, every once in a while, there's someone who's like 22 and they have a best-selling novel, and and right you know, that that happens and and i don't you know it's 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 not common but it does but i think and there's also people who figure it out late 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 in life but i do think we just have to grow into our own skin and be become aware of 
what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we want to do it. And it's a lot of trial and error. There's there's no real magic formula for anybody. Um, I think there's things to watch out for, for sure. Um, I think MFA programs, which I, I do not have an MFA, I've not, I've not been uh, through one of those programs, but in that ecosystem, and really in, in any literary ecosystem, there can be the tendency to become a performance writer where you're mm. writing for other writers. And I think, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, you know, most of the, yeah. the literary greats are, are doing that. Um, they're writing for their, to impress their peers um, or critics who happen to be other writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I love those books as well, but um, those books may not find an audience outside of, other um, other other writers or people in, in who, who see hold that up as the end all be all of literature um, and they and then they will kind of look down on, on genre writing because it has the stain of commercial viability which I think is is unfair I don't think there's anything wrong with either spectrum I think there's that's like saying you know pizza is the only worthy food and you know, tacos have no place. Um, there's there's appetites for everything. Right. I totally i i uh, i completely agree. Done done really well. Both sides of that extreme spectrum are fantastic reading experiences. Um, done poorly, both sides suck. Like it's not like oh. there's one side that's like great. You know, like really great commercial fiction is amazing. It is an amazing experience. Great literary fiction is an amazing experience, but bad commercial fiction sucks. Same as literary fiction. Like I, I like in my MFA, I read some pieces and I was like, why, why do we like this? Can somebody please tell me what it is I'm supposed to like about this? Because like, I don't get it, you know? So I, I, yeah, it, it's an important conversation. I'm, I'm happy we're talking about it because I think one of the drawbacks and one of the reasons people don't tell more stories, it's because they think they're not doing it right. You know, they, they have this idea that like, oh, I'm not supposed to write this. Um, and even when I, I mean, talking about Victor Laval, one of my the very first episodes I published. Right. So two years ago, one of the things we talked about was it took him a long time just to accept like he likes to write horror. Like, it's really cool. It's fun. He didn't think he was supposed to like it. Turns out he really likes he's really good at it, you know. Um, so he, like a lot of writers go through this. And I think it's just so important to like be honest with yourself and just write the thing that makes you really happy, but will also uh, move you closer to whatever goal you want at a more meta level. There's like the book project that has a goal. I want this to be this or this or this, but there's a meta project that you as a storyteller or meta goal that you as a storyteller probably have. Most of us are not just writing with no intention of it building or laddering or meaning anything. You know, most of us have these broader goals. It's just so important to be aware of those. It really truly is. Um, and I'm glad. I'm I, glad we could talk about this. Yeah, I, I want to write all the things. You know, I don't. I have pretty agnostic musical taste. Like, I don't. I, it always bums me out when I meet someone and they're like, "I only listen to country," or "I only listen right. to hip hop," or "I only listen to math rock," or so, you know, whatever genre. It's like I want to listen to the the best, most interesting of everything. And and when it comes to reading, my reading taste is is all over the place. I just read Colleen Hoover, who is a phenomenon. <laughs> like five of the top ten bestselling yeah. books are all Colleen Hoover books. 
I just wanted to see what what the deal was. And I'm like, yeah. I read it. I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah, she's yeah. excellent at what she does. And it's obviously reaching an audience and making people feel a certain way. Yeah. But for me, you know, I was, I, I made my bones writing historical fiction, but short fiction, I write everything. I've, I've written middle grade horror. I've written erotica. I've written dystopian. I've written crime noir. Um, I've done poetry slams. Like I, I want to do all the things. And I, I hate the thought of, of just, you know, you know, just using a blue crayon for my whole life or right. you know, a purple crayon. I, I want, I want all of them. And I love that. one, one doesn't mean the other's bad. And yeah, I, I, there are some really wonderful writing workshops, um, you know, that I, I don't even need to name them. They're popping up in the imagination of listeners. And I've been to these places where some genre writers who are brilliant get shredded mm. and it seems really unhelpful and it seems really snobby and maybe because I'm kind of a blue collar writer and I, I appreciate writers like uh, Jonathan Edison and Willie Blotton. It's very clear that they, they come from kind of this uh, punk rock ethos um, <laughs> instead of a, um, you know, a top down ethos. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, res I respect the struggle, I guess, um, yeah. instead of respecting the, the, the artifice and the, the show. Yeah, there's a good chance I take that term blue collar writer and like wear that. Like there's a really like there's a there's a better than 75 percent chance that becomes part of my vernacular. Uh, I really like that term. I really, being somebody who grew up very blue collar, uh, that that term, I like it. Uh, okay, so so here we are. I just looked at the time. This this uh, this is just flown by, and okay. we're at the part of the point of the show. I know I, it's like um, we're at the point of the show where I get to ask you my final question. So uh, I ask these questions every single author on the uh, on the show. Every single person I've asked the same questions, and I do it for two reasons. First reason is I like it my show. I get to do whatever I want. And second reason is, um, as we've said, the whole point of the show is to is to uh, really encourage and, and inspire writers to go find their way of putting words on the page. And um, if hearing these answers is one more kind of notch in convincing you that everyone gives a different answer, like every single author gives different answers, my job will be done. I'll be happy. I'll sleep easy at night. So with that said, let us dive into the first question, which is how do you view your role as a storyteller? Ooh, um, it took me a while to arrive at this destination, but I, I say this a lot. People get tired of me saying it, but I, I consider myself someone in the compassion creation business. I'm trying to write emotional stories. I think there's a, you know, a, a deficit of compassion in, in our society. Yeah. And it's it's useful for who I am. I I, uh, I was always kind of a proto emo kid, and wearing my heart on the sleeve. And if I can wear my heart on the page, that that works for me. Mm, I love that. Okay, um, question number two. Do, do these need to be really short answers? They can be whatever sure. answer you want. The lightning round. Okay. No. All right. No. As I was saying that, I'm like, oh man, am I up against the clock? Nope. There, there's basically no rules. We just we just okay. roll however we roll. There, there's there's no oh, template here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Question number two: If you had to pick a spirit book, oh, I'm sorry, I skipped the question. Uh, question number two: What is the one word that best describes you? Uh, self-deprecating. Self-deprecating. Uh, yeah, I 
you know, I and I this came when I when I uh, with my first book when I when I first went to Random House. You know, I go up the elevator and I step off, and my editor's there, and she gives me a hug, and she walks me into this boardroom um, with like a bunch of people, and it was just like go. They it was one of those things where they basically maybe this is like the, the inner workings of, of being an author, but I could tell they wanted to send me on a tour. They wanted to make sure I could be okay talking in front of strangers. And um, there's probably, you know, just pack the room with interns. I don't know who these people were, <laughs> but it's like, go. And then someone asked me, like, how would you describe yourself as an author? And I said, stridently self-deprecating because <laughs> I, I confidently don't take myself seriously. I take the work really seriously, but I don't, take myself that seriously and it's i find it funny when people <laughs> you can you can tell people do worry about things um i wrote a graphic novel script one time and someone asked aren't you worried about how you know we're writing for this visual medium is you know essentially a comic book medium is going to affect your literary reputation i was like uh what literary <laughs> reputation <laughs> I don't want one i just want to be me um and i don't want to be boxed in and so yeah i find that by you know working hard taking the work really seriously but not being really precious about who i am uh, life is easier mm. i like that okay question number three if you had to pick a spirit book so this is a book that uh, when you die, you'd be able to be reincarnated as this book and spend all time as this one single book. What book would it be? Wow. Um, my, this book would be <laughs> Endless Love by Scott Spencer. Um, mm. People of, of my generation, we equate Endless Love with a series of horrible movies beginning with the one with Brick Shields in the 80s. But mm -hmm. before it was made into, I think, three horrible movies, it was a fantastic book in the seventies. I mean, I, I, I ignored this book because I just assumed it was, it was just horrible. And I read a review, I think it was by Emma Klein or someone who was talking about it and described a 17 page sex scene dealing with period sex. And oh she, thought it was like, she described it as virtuosic. And I'm like, <laughs> I got to see what this is about. And I read it. Holy shit. It's, brilliant it's wow. dark it's emotional it's kind of twisted but it's so connective and relatable um if anyone's just ever lost their mind over another person which most of us have at some right. point in our lives or maybe we will or maybe we continue to do so it really 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 rests I mean, it's just beautiful writing incredible storytelling i was and it was it was nominated for a, a national book award and and then I think they withdrew the nomination because there was so much sex in it. It was it kind of created a scandal. And so mm -hmm. I like that it's controversial, but it's really good. And it's um, it's kind of under the radar for mm -hmm. uh, you know, in this day and age. It's a forgotten classic. I think. As soon as you said that, I heard like the song um, <laughs> yeah, pop, totally. pop, pop into my head. So yeah, I'm having to I'm divorce myself. Yeah, I'm having to divorce myself from a really flowery song to a sex-filled novel, you know. So it's like like two two sides of that spectrum, I guess. Um, yeah, it's it's really 
uh, it's not dark's not the right word. It's it's something else. Um, yeah, if people out there give it a read, you'll you'll be surprised. Okay, all right, and let's laugh. There it is. Uh, next question for you: Is there a specific tool? This could be anything at all: pencil, software, chair, coffee, tea, anything that you absolutely must have to write. Um, psilocybin mushrooms. I find that I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I was like, I was like, whoa! All right. <laughs> <laughs> but but is he joking? Really? I'm like, um, but now. <laughs> but now, yeah. Um, let's turn the microphone off and we'll talk. No, um, I don't really have like a specific ritual. Like I have to write with a certain pen, or yeah. I have to have a notebook, or I have to have a pair of slippers, or something i i've written in coffee shops i've written on planes i've written in parking lots i've written upstairs downstairs sitting on the floor in the bathroom um i've written in a notebook i'm more efficient with a laptop um any place where i can daydream is good so mm. any place devoid of you know jackhammers and um, train whistles and things that are uh, interrupting my, my train of thought I don't. I don't. I mean, I have a space that I write in, but I'm not real ritualistic about, okay, all the pencils have to be sharpened at point right. two o'clock when it begins. It, I wish it was that easy because it's not. <laughs> yeah, right. I could do all the things and just still stare at the wall and be alive for a while. Um, so, no, I just, maybe, if anything, it's just being open that I can I can write and think whatever. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Next question for you. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Oh God, therapy. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, the, I've had ups and downs for sure. I've had some huge ups. I've had some huge downs. Um, it's a struggle. And, and for some people, maybe what they're writing doesn't, unmoor them at times sometimes i'm writing stuff that you know i i i realize i'm you know i'm exploring the damaged relationship with someone in my family or something like that and and then writing is heavy and it, it's not evident on the page but just going through the process can just you know put me through an emotional sausage grinder mm -hmm. um, and i don't know just having a self-awareness of that that I, you know self-care is important disconnecting from the keyboard and just going and doing something ridiculous with my friends, um, doing things outside. I, I love being in Montana because I can, you know, within two hours I can be in the Rocky Mountain front yeah. or in Glacier National Park with no, I'm totally off the grid. And yeah. then it's like pressing the reset button uh, to get back to sort of this baseline level of contentment and happiness it's really it's a strange thing to have a successful book um, because you you go out on tour and you know as my wife says she's like you have the only job where people clap when you walk into the work you know <laughs> show up for work you know and it's it's like you you go do these events and you walk in and people really love your work and they want to you know, sign books and talk to them and it's all that great but they don't really know you hmm. and it's it's kind of like, I, I know a stand, I have a friend who's a, a stand-up comedian, and, and it's the same thing where he talks about how the only human he might have a conversation with while on tour is the barista in the morning, just small mm. talk. 
and then he is isolated in his brain all day alone in a hotel room and then goes on stage does dance monkey dance and then afterwards is just you know you know eating a pop tart in his underwear watching <laughs> in a hotel room. and then yeah. you just repeat that for you know a month and it the, the emotional up and down can really um maybe for some people it's they just skate above this but for me it, it can kind of rattle me i mm. just i feel completely disconnected from um from people that i they that know me and that's mm. uh, it's weird to you know you go into a room and there's like 200 people that are praising your work but you don't if if those words of affirmation don't mean anything to you if you if you need quality time with, with people um it can be it's like emotional starvation it can be detrimental um so yeah. for me it's just it's coming home it's just doing things that are completely removed from writing um luckily i have you know i'm the only well i do have one friend who's who's he's kind of taking off as a writer now um but for the most part my friends are creatives they work in different industries and we can you know we can talk comic books or play D D or go hiking or kayaking or do all of the above and uh, kind of reset my psyche. Yeah, well, that was a long answer to a very it's, short it's, question. But it, but it's important because there are ups. Yeah, there are a lot of ups, but like, boy, there's a lot of downs. And um, I often think that that's like some of the other questions I ask are funny. You know, they're kind of like squirrely questions. But I think that's one of the important ones because if you can't survive the down, um, boy, it's hard to keep going. It's hard to keep going, and so. Um, you know, it's important. I'm, I'm grateful for the answer. Yeah. yeah. I, I call it the off ramp to crazy town. I mean, it's there mm. and I try to put it in the rearview mirror. Um, but when it's in front of you, it's, it's, it's a viable tempting option. Right. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last question for you. If you could give one piece of advice, just one to new writers out there, what would it be? Ooh. Um, I someone someone gave this advice to me, and I and I did it. And it was very helpful, and it sounds ridiculous, and maybe it is, but he said, "Go to a garage sale and buy three of the most awful out of print books you can find. Pay no more than you know a nickel for each one, and then force yourself to read them as a writer." and dissect them and rip them apart hmm. and on, on the one hand there's this it can be encouraging because you can read something terrible and go okay someone paid for this like someone bought this and published this like if this can get published i can get published but for me it was more about picking up picking apart these books and finding the mistakes and the flaws or maybe not just mistakes not the right word but just lazy writing um things that could be better and then when i sat down to my own work, I caught myself before I made those same mistakes. Mm. Um, I think you can really learn a lot by reading bad writing, by forcing yourself to. And, I, and conversely, I think, I think if you're if you're trying to write, if you're learning to write, or if you're actively writing, you should not read your favorite authors while you're doing it. It's like mm. trying to lose weight and reading Vogue magazine. You'll just <laughs> die at the comparison. Just hate yourself. <laughs> You'll hate yourself. Yeah, you look in the mirror <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm never going to make it. Um, and I think I think just stepping away from um, you know, the, the, the magical writing that you aspire to and spend some time with 
worst writing you can find. Um, and again, I, I did it. And I, I'm sitting here at like two in the morning, like I'm forcing myself to read this. So this is awful. And I'm making notes on why it's awful. And I, I self-corrected a lot of those mistakes. Hmm. I think that was really useful. It was very affordable. Hmm. <laughs> very affordable. Yeah. I like that. Awesome. Um, Jamie, where can people find you online? Where do you hang out? Where are your main haunts? Oh, yeah. I'm on 4chan. I'm a big QAnon guy. <laughs> there. You can find me on what's called Q. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You'll just find me on the, on the deep web. <laughs> no. Um, the, the normal places, uh, at Jamie Ford on Twitter, at Jamie Ford okay. on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, you Google me. I'm out there. I should okay. put the warning that if you do a Google image search, there's also a uh, playboy model named jamie ford so you will find not you us. Uh, <laughs> not yeah yeah there's, not you you are not <laughs> i have smaller boobs yeah <laughs> I, I not um wear a bikini as well actually that that jamie ford reached out to me on instagram years ago and she's like hey we have the same name i live in vegas if you ever come to vegas let's get a photo together i'll be uh, in front of a typewriter you can be in a like a bikini <laughs> Maybe, maybe someday we'll do that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, there was a time when you know, I would look at the search hits for my website and it was always Jamie Ford nude, Jamie Ford naked. And I'm sure when people are searching Jamie Ford and they get to my website, they're like, ah, books, kryptonite. You know, they're like, what crazy. the hell? This isn't right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, this is awful. So anyway, okay. yeah, I'm out there. Okay. All right. Well, um, Jamie, I, I thank you so much. It's been such a fun conversation to talk about dystopia and talk about the way you write and theme and all these topics. I mean, it's, it, uh, this is, you know, when I thought about the dream of making a podcast and the types of conversations I'd be able to have, I mean, this is exactly what I wanted. And so I, I just so appreciate your openness and, uh, you know, being able to share so much. It's, it's, uh, it's such a pleasure to be able to interview you. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Cool thank you. Thank you again to Jamie for his time. If you haven't yet, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Helps us out a lot. Also, check us out, happywriter.co. You can sign up to join Happy Writer for free. Hang out with me and about 1,500 other writers. It's a pretty cool spot. Lastly, I, man, I really hope you have an absolutely wonderful week of writing. That's what this whole show is about. Really, truly helping as many people as they can. Have an absolutely wonderful week of writing. I hope that happens for you. Thanks so much.